What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Behind the Facade. I'm your host, Gavin J. Gallagher, and on this podcast, I explore the mental and emotional game often playing out subconsciously in your mind and in the mind of everyone else in the real estate or property market. The key to success in this game is to master your mindset and behavior, to take control of your thoughts, your emotions, and most importantly, your ego. So here we are in episode, it's episode 18. And in last week's episode 17, I was speaking about alternative finance and I had a conversation with David Jelly of propertybridges.com, which is a peer-to-peer lending platform based here in Ireland. So I hope you guys found that useful. Um, I actually spoke to David during the week and he said that he got a massive response from the podcast. He said there was a huge kind of spike in the numbers of people that were listening or that were checking them out on uh, LinkedIn and things like that. So it seems to be going in the right direction. This week, I've got a real treat for you guys. I am speaking with Mr. Anthony Slumbers. And Anthony is a globally recognized speaker, writer, and advisor on the prop tech and also space as a service. So I'm gonna get into that conversation with Anthony shortly. But before I do, I wanna give you guys just a couple of quick updates. First of all, I am recording this from home and it is a Saturday evening and it's uh, coming up on a quarter to 10. My daughter is in bed and I'm home alone because this week I became a father again. And um, I am now, uh, I now am a father of five kids. My son, my baby son was born like 48 hours, not even 48 hours ago, he was born. And so it's been a super, super hectic week. And it all happened on my birthday, believe it or not. So my birthday was spent in the maternity hospital while my uh, while my partner Ilga was giving birth. So that was my, that was an unusual birthday. I haven't had too many birthdays like that, I can tell you. <laughs> and if anyone wants to see what the new arrival looks like, you can check out my Instagram Gavin J. Gallagher is my handle on Instagram. So before that, I got into my burpee challenge. And I actually, on the day before my birthday, I kind of knew that the birthday was going to be interrupted by the baby's arrival. So I decided to bring my plans forward by a day. And I did 1,048 burpees on the day before my birthday. And that was, the idea was to go at that pretty vigorously and I did it in under two hours just a smidge under two hours I did it in one hour 58 minutes and I live streamed the entire thing on Facebook so my August challenge that I set myself of doing 10,000 burpees is actually now very close to complete I have done 9,750 and by the time you're listening to this podcast I will have completed it because it's Sunday tomorrow and I have 250 left to do and that is pretty easy now at this stage so i'm going to be getting into the um into the main event now which is going to be the conversation with anthony slumbers but before i do just thought i would mention the if you go back uh, an episode or two i spoke about the 16 personalities and that I, i actually did that test one of those tests on my daughter and it was absolutely spot on you know to her personality even at the age of I think I did it first with my eldest daughter who's 16 and it got her spot on and then I did it with my 14 year old and it got her spot on as well and then I did it with my 12 year old and you know it's it's very very accurate and it's completely free so guys you really should check that out 16personalities.com and it is free to do and you just get you basically get an insight into your personality your strengths and weaknesses and that is really really useful to know that information at a young age the younger you get it the more you can kind of understand about where your strengths are and things like that so let's get into the main event this week's conversation is with mr anthony slumbers he is a very very eminent prop tech influencer I came across Anthony, first of all, back in 2018 when I was making a YouTube video called The Top 10 PropTech Influencers. And at the time, I didn't really know Anthony at all. In fact, I didn't know really any of the influencers. I had just done a bit of a study on the internet and I gave Anthony the number seven spot. But having gotten to know Anthony and having sort of followed all of his content, and he's a really prolific guy, he would actually be number one in my opinion today in terms of his influence and 
his just the knowledge and the quality of the content that he puts out there. If anyone wants to check it out, it's his his blog is AnthonySlumbers.com. It is very, very uh, useful blog if you want to get into the whole innovation side of the real estate business, which I recommend everybody does because that is where we're heading into. The technology is just changing every aspect of life. And if you look back uh, you know, 10 years ago, the retail business was doing fine. The, you know, the main banking business was doing fine. Today, all of those guys have been disrupted by uh, fintech. And I believe that the property business is going to be disrupted by prop tech. And so I think anyone who wants to be a property investor should be, you know, exploring this stuff now and getting a good handle on what the opportunities are, where you can get information and it's possible that you can you can get the same information that these massive companies get and they pay a lot for. You can have that information just as quickly as they now. And so it's democratizing the whole Internet area. And I think that is going to be a massive opportunity for investors in real estate. So I'm going to read you out a little bio on Anthony and then I'm going to go straight into the uh, conversation. Anthony is a globally recognized speaker, advisor, and writer on the topic of prop tech and space as a service. He's also a serial entrepreneur, having founded and exited several prop tech companies and now consults a number of real estate boards on their transformation, technology, and innovation strategies. He writes an influential blog, as I've mentioned, anthonyslumbers.com, and is a very prolific Twitter user with the handle Anthony Slumbers. Uh, I'm going to put links to all of this in the show notes. This year, he launched uh, an online course called Future Proofing the Office. He, he's co-founded a property or education platform called realinnovationacademy.com. And if you guys go, want to go and check that out, I'm going to put links in the show notes. So you're in for a real treat, guys. Anthony speaks at conferences all over the world. People pay money to go to these conferences, they pay a lot of money. And he's advising venture capital firms, big property firms. So you're getting a real insight here into some of the top information that's out there. So without any further ado, guys, a conversation with Mr. Anthony Slumbers. Anthony, welcome. I'm thrilled to have you on the podcast today. It's uh, It's been a while since I've seen you. Um, I first came into uh, awareness of you back when I was researching for my top 10 uh, prop tech influencers video that I put out back in 2018. And I didn't really know much about anybody at the time. I was just, I was making a video because it was an interesting topic for me. And uh, since then though, I've been following all of your um, posts and your videos and your speaking that you do and things like that and your po podcast more, more recently. And you've really become this, you know, globally recognized thought leader in the whole area of prop tech and, um, and innovation in real estate and space as a service. And so it's really, it's great to have you on board today for a great discussion. For the purpose of our audience, I was just thinking perhaps the best place to start is with a bit of a backstory, just to tell us how you started out and, um, and kind of bring us up to, I guess, the, 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 the foundation of the internet where your career sort of took a bit of a different path. Right, well, that, that is a that is a long story. One of the one of the advantages of being old is you have long stories to tell. But I will tell it. I will tell it succinctly. Um, rather bizarrely, if you like, I come from the age before the internet, uh, and even more bizarrely, for someone who's run software companies for twenty years, I actually have a degree in history and history of art. And for the first X number of years of my career, I actually worked for one of the leading, well, the lead, the leading European. Uh, European art dealer in 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 London, and and an oddity of the the time then was that a lot of the high end art dealers got involved with um, property development. I actually got involved with um, developing some of, office stuff and some residential and that sort of that sort of stuff. And then this is right at right at the end end of the eighties, the the big crash in the the eighties, um, and then every. Basically, the first half of the 90s was everyone hiding away, hoping to keep out of keep out of trouble. And eventually, things sort of picked up a bit. And in January 1995, actually on my birthday, I remember it. I was in the West End of London and went in what to what was then the first internet cafe, and mm -hmm. thought, "Oh, this is 
this looks like an interesting thing because in in um, in real estate we have lots of images we have lots of documents we have lots of people in lots of different locations so this funny internet thing that connects everyone together would seem to be seem to be worth getting into so in in a in a nutshell i then i, I then pivoted from a artist art historian to a software developer because in at, at that time the entire html specification so everything you could do on the web was 34 pages of a4 that was it wow everything everything you could do could be printed out on 34 pages of a4 you couldn't even center when I started, you couldn't even center images. You could only left a, left a line. And then in 2000, 2001, down, down at MIPIM, of all, of all places, um, I got started with a joint venture that I entered into with Broadgate Estates, which was the property management arm of British Lands, which was then the, the largest REIT in the, in the UK, to produce a suite of property management tools and also what is now called tenant, engage, tenant engagement uh, software. So we launched what, um, what was called Vicinity, and the idea of Vicinity was the space, the space around you in March, uh, May two, 2001, and, and then rolled that out across, um, across Broadgate, Big Development Centre London, then all BLs, buildings, and then third-party third customers. I ca carried, on, carried on there for quite, quite a while, it was a joint venture deal where they were allowed to, they could buy me out after a certain number of years. And uh, fortunately they did. And I carried on work, working there for a while. Um, so, so overall spent about 20, 20 years running software companies, five, five, five different startups, closed two of them, did okay on one of them, did iffy on another, but sort of knocked it out in the park on on the last so one in five that's that's not a bad ratio for for startups and then over the last last few years i got more and more interested in just uh look, looking at the mac the macro level of the impact of technology on real estate which is essentially what i've been interested in all, all along and i started right. writing a lot more the writing led led to speaking and and so so on from there so up until last year I would say I spent about a third of my time uh, writing, a third of my time speaking at conferences, and a third of my time consulting with anyone from startups through to institutions, helping people un understand the impact of real estate and technology. And then the, la the la latest thing I've started is in March, uh, March this year, uh, with a colleague of mine, Draw Poleg, who's based in New York, we started the Real Innovation Academy which is an online course, which we call the hashtag future proof office course, which is really aimed at helping um, real estate people understand a lot more about technology and technology people understand a lot more about real estate. And then all, all of them to understand more about the macro drivers changing the nature of uh, demand with, within the industry. So that, that's a- In a nutshell. That's a many, many years in, Hopefully not many minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and tell me this, I just wanted to go back to your, your art career. Do you think any of your skill sets you picked up in that area have been translated into, into your current career or the last 20 years? I, I, I absolutely do, because I think it's a fortuitous thing for me that I tend to approach things in a slightly different way to everyone else, because I'm sort of part, partly approaching things from... The love of the technology side but but partly as an as an absolute lovey and then and there's some something of this crossover between sort of left left brain right brain which is what i think you know modesty aside makes my writing quite popular that it's sort of sort of i mean it's not wildly unconventional but it's a it's a bit different to what most people are doing and i think that's just a reflection of of my background i just a varied career yeah no, it's true. It's it's you know, something about your writing. I really do enjoy. I have to say, it's um, it's 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 so unlike everyone else's writing out there. So yeah, for sure, kudos on that. And um, when you were a property developer for a time, did um, did you get um, did you get much success with that, or was it really just sort of trying to kind of keep the wolf from the door while you had these pieces of art sitting? <laughs> well, it's, it's it's typical real estate cycle cycle thing isn't it for 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 a, for a time of course we were complete geniuses 
we were we were absolutely brilliant. So at the end of, at the end of the right at the end of the eighties, we were just fantastic. We were minting money with we the clever cleverest people on earth, um, just Being generating there. value just amazingly because we were just so amazing and then of course the market turned and we immediately turned into complete idiots <laughs> so true. And, yeah. and, and sat in i mean i remember we we developed a, a block of flats in 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 london and this is it was only 12 flats they were sort of very posh posh flats near wimbledon common and i think we we spent five and a half million pounds developing them and it all went all went wrong and we ended up actually being able to buy it back for one and a half million. Wow. So of course we thought we were incredibly smart. Um, but then we moved in. We were based in Barclay Square before that, but we bought this block of flats. So we moved, we moved over there and uh, promptly sat there for six months and not a single person came in the door. Wow. Even, even though we, we could completely slash, slash the prices for six months, no, literally no one came in. And I, <laughs> I, I, I think there's a there's a there's a thing about people about people who've actually been through a real estate cycle. You know, it's such a long time since since we've been through a bad one. Yeah, that too many people do think they're too clever, and all I they're totally doing is just agree. is just riding a wave. And then when it turns, boom! You know, yeah, yeah, no, I, I have talked about that so many times on this podcast. I mean, two thousand and eight. I, yeah, in 2007, exactly. I was a genius and yeah. I was, you know, flying around the world at first class and all of this kind of stuff, thinking I was could, nothing I could do could turn wrong. And then I was humbled, let's just say, yeah. 2008, 2009 and 2010 was an absolute nightmare uh, with banks chasing me all over the place for, you know, big debt. Well, I, I was exa exactly the same, a crash earlier, yeah, if, yeah. if you like. And, and it, it, it's just a truism that I think you need to you need to learn and i mean i've I, resi generally is not is not my thing my my thing mainly has been commercial yeah. so i don't really know much about about resi but i remember uh, i've had a number of arguments with people about i buyers um and i just think it's the most bonkers thing on earth you know yeah, let's, let's, let's 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 take a let's let's take a business with tiny margins in an industry with huge volatility but no, they they all insisted to me, don't be silly, we've got this all worked out. I buyers will be good in bad good markets, good in bad markets. Of course, come the pandemic, all the I buyers shut down and didn't do anything for, for months. And you know, I I I just think there's a certain there's a certain re reality check that we all we all need to take within within real estate. And in, in, increasing increasingly, I'm much more interested in the the fundamentals of real estate in the sense of is this a great space that supplies what somebody needs and they and they will love rather rather than oh well let's just build you know the financial I'm a lot less interested in the financialization of, of real estate and much more interested in actually the product that interfaces interfaces with the customers so that's not you know in in many ways there's probably more money to be made in just the financialization of real estate. But I just don't find it so interesting. I'm interested in, it's our responsibility to build great, great things. You know, we, that's what the real estate industry is. We, we provide the spaces where people spend 90% of the time. So I actually yeah. do think we, we have a responsibility to build great stuff. And I know, I know a lot of the, a lot of the industry doesn't look at it like, like that, which is, you know, you only need to drive around and look at a lot of the stuff that gets built and you think, God, that's, that's just built by someone who really doesn't care at all. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, it's a huge it's a huge industry, and I think you 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 find your niche in it. And my my niche is is with those who are interested in building something great, yeah. and then having a great relationship with the um, with with the customer. Yeah, no, I think you're definitely a man after my own heart as well. We have we have the business park here in Dublin that that we we built, and we still manage today after twenty years um and you know we're still putting as much attention into it today as we did the day that it was built and that's one of the reasons that i got into all of the innovation and the, and the prop tech stuff is because it's how you adapt to you know they're 20 year old buildings now so we have to learn to adapt and make sure that they're still doing what they're supposed to do and i have seen changes that you're talking about you know the interaction with staff and with people that are working there it has changed people the, the, the way that people 
drive to work. You know, a lot of people are now cycling, taking tra public transport. The whole thing that's obviously changing now is, is COVID-19 is going to have a, a dramatic impact on, on, the, on the office sector in particular. And uh, our business park has been almost completely empty for the last couple of months. And uh, just a few days ago, the Irish government announced that there was an uptick in cases. And so there's, they're bringing in some additional restrictions and stuff. And all of a sudden I'm getting emails, oh, you know, we're not gonna be reopening the office until January now and things like that. So it's some, some of these, well, a lot of them are multinationals that would have the US as their headquarters. And so the, the policy has been dictated from the US, which obviously has a different sort of set of circumstances again than all of us. But how, what's your view on the, the COVID-19 impact? I mean, what I'm getting at is obviously work from home has been fully tried and tested now for the last couple of months. And the previous belief that it wasn't going to be possible has been poo-pooed in a big way. And a lot of people are predicting that, you know, the office is going to be dead and buried and stuff. I don't quite share that, but I'm curious what your views are on, on the future of, for offices. I think the the office is dead. Long live the office. <laughs> there, there, there is a there is a type of office that is a, that is absolutely dead. That, that was dying anyway. The the office offices produ production center. Lots of people li lined up in, in rows of desks doing things that are structured, repeatable, predictable. All that stuff is dying, dying in anyway. The, the, there's a the, there's a fundamental point that. The thing, the thing about, oh, well, the machines are taking over the world. Well, they're not taking over the world, but the thing about the machines is they are, the machines will be doing a vast amount of the things that people have done over the last, last X number, number of decades, because machines are much better at, at humans at, at certain things. But fortunately, humans are much better than machines at certain things. And largely, it, it splits between the, the, machine, the machines, if you like, will be doing any task that is structured, repeatable, or predictable, because that's what machines are, are, are good at, which, which, which is fine. And McKinsey had written back in 2017 that they reckon that's 50% of all the tasks that people have paid for around the world. So you, you have to start looking at, well, in that case, well, what are humans going to be doing? Well, humans are going to be doing what humans are, are good at. If, paradoxically, in a more technological world, the greatest skills to have are actually going to be human skills rather than technical skills, because human skills are all about imagination, design, abstract and critical thinking, judgment, empathy, and all these sort of things. And it's really our, our job to be asking, to be defining the questions that we want the machines to answer. Picasso, Picasso one, once said that machine, that computers are useless, all they can do is give you answers. And that is fund fundamentally the point. They're very good at giving you answers. Um, but the more important thing is what questions you, you ask them. So the movement in terms of work has, has, been over, is, has been a slow move over the last 10 years to the changing nature of the work we do. A lot of people talk about, oh, well, the way we work is changing, but it's actually not the way we work that matters. It's the work we do. And as I say, we're going to be doing more and more more and more human skill related things. And what's happened with COVID is that it has actually just completely proved, proved the point that funny, funny enough, our technological infrastructure is, is now such that, well, clear, clearly we don't need an office anymore. That, that changes the, the whole thing. This is the, the office market to me is now going through what the retail industry went through 10 years ago. 10 years ago, Essentially, people realize that they do not need shops to go shopping. The more dozy parts of the retail real estate industry didn't get their heads around the fact that their product wasn't actually needed anymore. And what they should be concentrated on is making people want to, to go there. And this, the same, I think, is, is going to apply with, with offices, that we don't need an office, but we need to, we need to develop a product that people want. And there are very, very strong reasons for the office becoming actually, in a way, more important, the more it's not needed. Because, as I, as I say, if we're doing more, if our value, our human value, is more and more developing our humans, our human skills, mostly 
those human skills are going to be developed with other people. So to develop human uh, new products and new services with other people, well, where are you going to do that? Well, I'm not going to do that sitting at home. I need to go somewhere that is designed to catalyze my human skills. So I believe the, the office paradoxically for a, di for a different purpose is in some ways actually going up in value, not, not down, down in value, but it's a very particular type of office. There's no point me going to the office to, as someone said to me the other day, have a meeting with myself. Yeah. I can sit here and do tippy tappy on my computer all day. There's no zero reason to go to the office just to sit in front of a screen, use your, use your laptop or whatever. But there's a huge amount of point in going there to meet a customer or to work with my team or to mentor, mentor my staff or to learn a, new, a learn a new skill. But all of those things are, are things that need particular environments. And you know the old Churchill thing of um, first we, we shape our buildings and then we shape us. Well, I thought that was, that was actually, he said that I think in 1941, was it? After the Houses of Parliament were bombed and they were talking about how, how they were going to uh, rebuild them. And I don't, I don't think it's ever been as important, that, that, that comment, as now, because the importance of the space you're in, to me, is huge, particularly in the world we're going into. Mm, so to get yeah. the most value out of me and you and our colleagues, when that value is about them using their human, human skills to the greatest, uh, the greatest uh, ability that they can, we need the right types of spaces to sit to to do that. So we need to be in different different in, environments. And so just you can't just line us up at a load of desks and say, "Well, now go and do something human." We need to design spaces that are that are there to catalyze human human skills. Which is why, or which is partly why, you saw such a growth in in the flex market. Because if you look at the aesthetic of a lot of the flex industry, it was completely different to a tra traditional traditional office space and they have a completely different vibe a different a different feel and actually you go in those spaces and you feel differently than in tradi traditional offices so my 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 feeling is we're going to get hopefully much more sophisticated and think a lot harder about the spaces we need and what we need them for and so we will end up with using a multitude of different spaces. So I will come into my office, but for a particular purpose. Most likely I will come there to be with my team. And most likely I will come with them in there to be with my team for a particular purpose. Then I might go home and do some focus work. Then I might go somewhere, work from near home, because I just want to be with someone else and we need some separation between home and work. And I might go and work in a hotel, I might go and work in a, a library. And there's this notion of hub, home and Rome, which I really like. So, you know, we have our hubs and then we have our homes and then, and then, and then we, we roam. And I think we, but in each, in each case, and this, go, this, goes back, this goes back to all my notions about space as a service, which I've always said has, to, has two, two real meanings. First meaning of space as a service is that it's space that's procured on a flexible basis. But the more important meaning of space as a service is space that provides you with the services you need to do the jobs to be done that you have to do at any moment. So Anthony's in the office in the morning, what's he got to do? He's, he's, he's having a meeting with his team. How many people? Six. Therefore, he needs a space to do, do that. And in the afternoon, Anthony's doing some quiet work. So where's he going to do that? In a space that's dedicated to that. Then he's going to go and give, give a talk. He needs to go to a space, a space that, to, to do that. And I think it's this understanding of, it's, it's funny, it's an old art, art, art history term, for, for, form, and, form and function. Ernst Gombrich, one yes. of the, the great art, art historians, talked about form and function. The right form for a particular function. And I think we're just going to get a lot more sophisticated in, in real estate, in, un, in terms of understanding the physical requirements of individuals and companies to do what they need to do and then providing it to them, but providing it to them on a dynamic basis. 
so when on one of in in my talks i tend to have one one particular slide that says anyone who's worked in tech knows that the, the starting point in tech is build measure learn build measure learn you build something you measure how it's worked you learn from that and you, you iterate but in real estate we stop at build so mm -hmm. which is why so often you have a new building or a new workplace and it's fabulous day one it just looks beautiful Six, six months in, the company has changed around a bit and you have something where the product market fit has completely gone. So I, I think we're going to find offices being much more intelligent in terms of monitoring the quantitative and qualitative needs of the occupants and then so, and so monitoring them and then being continually optimized to, to, suit, to suit the ongoing requirements, which is really real estate as a, as a service rather, rather than a, a product. And I think this has just moved, moved all of this on. Are we all going to work at home? No. Are we all going to work in the office? No. I mean, I see it as a, the classic bell curve. You've probably got, I don't know, five or 10% of people who are going to work at home full time. Five or 10% of people are going to work in the office full time. And then there'll be a bell curve of people who, who work there, probably averaging two, three days a week, but very specific for a very specific purpose and at a higher utilization. So, I mean, this all wraps up with sustainability quite a lot. I was, again, I was talking to someone yesterday and we were talking about how, how do you get sustainability into offices? And I was saying, well, if you look at it at the moment, though we never, we, we tend to just ignore this, but the average office, the average, I know there's outliers, office is utilized, office desk is utilized 50% of the time. And if you look at satisfaction with the office, personal satisfaction office is around about half the people, around about 50% of people say their office enables them to be productive. Now, really, that is a hashtag double fail. Yeah. Uh, you know, people are only using our space half the, half the time, and frankly, half of them don't really, really like it. But also in a sustainability sense that's crazy because we're underutilizing these spaces yeah. so i was saying we if you say say you set a, a a a task that you wanted your space to be utilized 70 percent of the time plus uh with 70 percent satisfaction what do i need to do to make my my space 70 percent utilization with 70 percent satisfaction but the difference in productivity and sustainability between a space used 50-50 and 70-70 is huge. And we should, we should, as an industry, be, mm. be looking to, well, how do we do that? Whereas historically, the aim of, the aim of a, a, a letting agent has been to let as much space as possible for as long as possible. And if they don't use it very well, well, tough, I don't, I don't care. But I think in, I think in the new world, the premium is going to be on, I'm going to let you the least amount of space for the shortest amount of time, but I'm going to operate it in such a way that you utilize it and your satisfaction is going to be dramatically higher than it would have been. And you're going to pay me a hell of a lot more for it. But you'll still probably be quids in because I'm going to half your space needs, but maybe almost you know, up your cost 60, 70% but you're still net gonna, gonna win because I'm gonna provide you with better space. My job is going to be not letting you space, but enabling you to have a productive workforce. So instead of being landlord and tenant, I'm not exactly gonna be your partner, but I'm gonna work with you to help you monitor and optimize this space on an ongoing basis to enable your people to be as effective as possible. And you're gonna, and you're gonna pay at a unit economics point, a lot more for that, but you're going to still be smiling. So, <laughs> so yeah. you know, when we, when we actually start to, when the cycle goes round again and things free, free up, I, th I, I think you're definitely, you're definitely going to find overall office demand is going to drop dramatically, but that is actually going to be a positive for really good office operators. Because I think, unlike the, the historic world of real estate, where we're all geniuses or idiots at the same time, I think you're going to get a much more multi-tier market, where you're going to get cheap space will be 
there'd be a market for that. There's always a market for cheap space because there's always people who just need cheap. And you're going to get really, really strong pre premium space, which is generating a lot more income out, out of a building because it's much more actively managed, much more thought, thought through. And then you're going to get lots of space in the middle, which is just trying to be, oh, well, this, you know, it's a really nice, it's a really nice spec. Yeah, but it's, it's, it's boring and it doesn't do anything. And it's just a product, you know, and I think that that's going to have a, a difficult time. So I do think, I do think there's going to, there, there is going to be a, a paradox where the demand for office space declining significantly is in no way necessarily a bug for a bug for the industry. In fact, I think it's going to be a feature for the industry because I, I, I think you're going to en end up with certain certain buildings or certain operators or certain landlords that customers want want their space. And I don't want anything else. I don't I don't want 20,000 square feet of space. I want 20,000 square feet of Gavin space. Yeah. In, in, the same, in, in, the, in the same way as if you think of it like um, I always use the car analogy. So, you know, Audi, BMW, Mercedes. And if you think the, the most important customer for any of those is the person buying their first luxury luxury car. It's like the Jesuits, you know, you get them, get them young <laughs> and you, you keep them for life. And I think this is going to happen in real estate, but people are going to develop very strong brands targeted at particular markets with a great knowledge of what that market really needs um, to run its business. And people are going yeah, well, I will, I will pay five euros for that, but I'll pay two euros for that. Yeah, but that's not very, very different to that. Yeah, but it isn't that. So that, mm, I get you. Two, plus two, two plus two equals uh, five, as opposed to two plus, you know, two plus one equals two. <laughs> so. Yeah, no, I think, it's, I think it's a very good point. And it, it, it's, it, it, you know, if you look at the WeWork, um, I mean, whatever about the implosion last year with the uh, the IPO, but the actual product market fit seemed to to be very good, and attracted a huge number of people and interest. And I think it's exactly for those reasons that you say is that you know people were going in there because it satisfied a need, and and your satisfaction levels were high as well. And people were raving about their their WeWork office, and uh, even though you were crammed up against each other and things like that, still ticked the box in terms of what people were looking for and also it's the environment that they were getting and um, being surrounded by like-minded people and things like that so it is yeah it's very interesting it's interesting to think that a traditional developer or investor like a REIT or something like that that they're going to have to upskill in all of these areas that I mean hospitality and brand and all of that has not traditionally been an area that these that these kind of players are good at and so if there's going to be a very a sort of a reckoning a day of reckoning i think in the industry where they're going to have to start upskilling in all of these areas I, oh I, I think absolutely i think the, the real estate company of the of, of the future is a very different animal to the real estate company of the past but it's it is the real estate company of the present plus 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 because you still it's, it's not like you don't need all these real estate skills you still need all the all the real estate skills, and a really good real estate operator is a really good real estate operator. But but you need you need so much more because you are fundamentally changing from being a product business to a service business. So the the, the biggest difficulty I think for 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 landlords is is going to be working out who they are and who they want to be because from the customer's point of view, to deliver the user experience that the customer wants requires a whole a whole set of other other skills i would say there's a um, six six different skills that make up a user experience which at the moment are six different industries so you've got you've got the real real estate industry still need all those all those skills uh, you've got networking and iot skills you you need you need data, data skills then you need workplace skills you need hr skills and you need hospitality skills to create a great user experience at the moment that is six different industries mm. that all go into creating a space for people. The real estate company of the future, in my mind, is going to merge all, all, all six of those in various ways. It doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be one monolithic block, but they there has to be a fluidity of purpose and data around those six, 
their different skills. So I think the complicated thing for the, the real estate company is to work out how, how they want to satisfy that need. So does that mean they try and they try and become all those things? Do they try and become an operator? And I certainly, you know, there's loads of talk now. People say, oh, well, think about all these flex operators, all very well, but if it's any good, then landlords can just do it, which is like, like mm. thinking, no, you don't understand. It's like, that's, that's like saying, well, you know, if this brain surgery thing is good, well, we'll just get into brain surgery. It's hard. Yeah, it's yeah. just because it looks, it's like saying, oh, this hotel business, that doesn't look very hard. It's incredibly hard. And it's, a, and it's a different skill. And you may want to get into that. You may not want, want to get into that. So the whole build, build, buy, or partner thing becomes really, really important. And where do you want to sit on the value chain? And what's, your, and what's your business model? And I think that is going to range across the whole gamut of, at one side, there be probably the, probably the very biggest companies will say, right, well, we're going to go all in. We're going to start expanding our vertical, our horizontal and vertical capabilities, and we're going to build. We're going to do all this this ourselves. So people like Tishman, in in America, are are doing it. Um, there there will be a a few of those, and at the other end, there'll be real estate real estate companies that just go. I don't want anything to do with this. My job is I'm a real estate developer. So I'm going to find a plot of land, get some planning and build something. And then I'm off. I'm not interested in, in any, any of that. Or I'm an investor. That's what I do. I like to sit, sit on the golf course, but I'm rich. So I will buy the building and I will lease the, lease the building and then go away. I don't want anything to do. it. And that's perfectly legitimate. I mean, there, there, there are certainly, and I think there will be quite a lot of that. There's enough money in real estate. There's enough, there's enough real estate companies who have plenty of money to say, I really don't need to squeeze every last penny out of it. I'm already rich. This is going to just make me richer, maybe a little bit slower, but that's that's fine. And then there's going to be a mix between between people who um, partner, either partner with people or start to build e ecosystems um, of of suppliers and knit knit them together. Uh, but the, but that's that's that is going to be that is going to be a real a real challenge, I think. The nature, the nature of the real estate company of the future is tricky. And yeah, for sure. As I say, they just need to decide where they are. Yeah, it's something that we're, you know, we as a business are grappling with ourselves because there's, there's also, a, a, you know, the different views across a board of directors. And you've got people that are, you know, forward looking and then you've got people that are, are sort of have a thought that this is how it's been done for, for many years. And so don't really plan to do anything different. And, and, you know, there's a risk, I guess, of being too early and jumping into new sectors that are, you know, and being kind of a pioneer and, and, and getting, getting in too early is also a risk. Um, because you can certainly I've done it in the past I've been a pioneer and it's and I've been too early to the game and you don't last while while you're waiting for the rest of the market to catch up and then there's that, there's that saying isn't there the um be, being too early is 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 just another way of saying being wrong <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah the, don't like to admit it but yeah I guess that's absolutely <laughs> spot on yeah Anthony, just moving away from the offices, you're advising so many um, big sort of companies in the States and the UK and stuff like that. I'm just curious, what other trends have you noticed if you're, if you're, you know, put your radar out there for just general innovation in real estate? Is there any particular trends or things that you're seeing? Funny enough, when, when, when the year started, I thought this was going, I thought I was going to do nothing this year apart from talking about sustainability. Me too. Yeah. I thought that was going to be just the thing I talked about all the time. Partly, partly because that was coming anyway. And then in January, Larry Fink, who's the, the, the boss of BlackRock, who writes his an, annual letter to shareholders, wrote, wrote this, this piece, which essentially went blah, 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 blah. And then it has five words, which I think are absolutely tra transformational. Climate risk is investment risk. Five words. And I thought, wow, once the money is worried about their money, regardless of whether they care, they could be like Trump and think the whole climate change thing is, is a myth. 
But if believing in that is going to help them keep hold of their money, things were going to happen happen anyway. So I, I, I genuinely thought there was going to be a really strong push towards um, sustainability across, you know, everything from how, how you build it to you operate it, and and I, I think I think that's still still going to be the case. I think one of the one of the things that COVID has done is it it has made the world realise that, funnily enough, something can happen that affects the whole world. And if you think about what's been going on the last few months when else has there been anything that affected the whole world at the same time? Yeah. And not only that, because it affected the whole world at the same time, and we saw, you know, carbon emissions drop, drop so much. I think that there's probably hundreds of millions of people around the world who suddenly smell air that they'd never smelt before. Yeah. And I think that's, that's going to make a, a big difference. And as someone said to me, rather strange way of looking at it but they said well covid actually could be a could be a vaccine for climate change i was thinking in the in the sense in the sense of showing that whoa something really really big could happen and therefore we need to start taking some steps um to 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 deal with it and i and i do i do think that is still going to be a huge trend and I certainly from the prop tech point point of view given the sheer scale of the market anyone anyone who can come up with something that has a material impact on the carbon emissions of a built of a building yeah. has the biggest market in the world to, to, to sell into so there's a huge there's a massive massive prize there I think um, you're absolutely right. Just going back to your point, I, I remember recently looking at the um, Barack Obama speaking about five years ago and warning everybody about this risk of a pandemic, uh, a flu-borne pandemic, and that we need to put infrastructure in place and all of these kind of things that he was warning people. And he says it could be in the next five, 10 years, and it could really impact. And nobody paid any attention to it, you know, scaremongering or whatever it is. And everyone ignored it. And then suddenly here it is upon us. And look at the economic cost that it has cost us. Yeah. And, and then if you think about what else have scientists been warning us about for decades now, climate change. And everyone has just been ignoring it pretty much. I mean, with the exception maybe of, of Copenhagen, who, who, who have you know, mm. gone for the zero carbon city. But I think most people, it's just lip service, really. And um, I think at some point in the near future, there's going to be this watershed moment when everything changes, when it's either a city that gets wiped out from a flood or something like that. And, and then suddenly people are going to take, take note. And then suddenly it's going to be governments on the back foot having to kind of raise taxes and do all sorts of uh, highly unpopular things. But there will be no choice in the matter. And I think where this has really highlighted that is the COVID response and the fact that shutdowns and lockdowns and all of this kind of like nobody wants it from an economic point of view but there is no choice in the matter so yeah, that that's absolutely true we, we we misunderstand the financial consequences of things you know so some of these things oh well we didn't do that because that would have cost 20 billion billion well yeah 20 billion sounded a lot then but it doesn't sound yeah, like in the context tuppence now doesn't it yeah oh, well that's now going to cost you 200 billion or a trillion or it's going to the whole of london's going to be shut the whole of Manhattan's going going to be shut for four four months. What's the what's the cost cost of that? I, I I I'm I'm hoping that that this does lead to people really really paying that attention. And I think I think it will partly because there is definitely a huge pressure coming from the investment community now. There's there's an there's enough of the money saying do this or we can't fund you, or or do this. And we can fund you on better terms. You know the whole notion of, of, of uh, green green finance, and the numbers are numbers are big now. You look yeah. at the EU's the EU's green fund. Um, you know, it's big, hundreds of hundreds of billions, and it, it, there's big big consequences there. But I think you're getting it from the from the other end now. I was talking to a developer in London a couple of weeks ago who are particularly forward thinking in in, in this sort of thing, and they said. Um, 
the, the CEO was telling, telling me that we try in, in all our leasing to not mention um, anything as dirty as money. We don't mention rent. We, we're focusing on, we are producing the most sustainable, the most environmentally friend, friendly buildings. And our target and our hypothesis is that if we produce the most, most sustainable buildings, there are customers out there who will want the most sustainable buildings. And he said the last big letting we did, afterwards, I said to them, you know, great, great to have you on board and whatever, but what really mattered to you? And they said, well, frankly, we wanted the most sustainable building in London. And you had it. And mm. that was it. That's, that's, that's why we're here, because we, we, want, we wanted that. So there is a top and a bottom real pressure yes, to, for sure. to make this. But that also now flips on to the other huge trend, I think, is going to be all around indoor air quality and environmental conditions within, within buildings. Again, this is something we've known about for we've known about for a long, long time. Yeah. And never really paid paid any attention to because you can't see it. But now, if you want to get people back in your building, you're going to have to prove to them that your building is safe. And a lot of that is going to come through. Um, being able to show them envi environmental um, environmental conditions, you know, what's the humidity, what's the temperature, what's the CO two, what's the particular level. Tell us how how much um, how is your uh, air conditioning working? What's you know how much fresh air are you using? And all? This is, these are all things that only real geeky people had any interest in until very recently, and now I can't believe that any company of a beyond a certain size is not going to have it written into their their lease about environmental conditions i just can't see can't see them doing doing it and also there's i was talking to an american chap yesterday whose area of interest is the mental health impact of things like covid and pandemics and whatever mm. and he was he was making the point and this might be a particularly american american thing but he was saying, if you look at the, the death rates from COVID, they're primarily or almost exclusively people of a certain age or people who have some sort of pre-existing condition. And he said, in America, though, about 60% of people have a pre-existing condition. So if you're, if you're a company, you, you have a very strong incentive now to try and help your employees be healthier because if they're not healthy, they're going to be an awful lot more susceptible to these, yeah. these sorts of pandemics. And you suddenly think, my God, this is actually a completely different way of looking at it. It's sort of, and I'm seeing this increasingly, this mix of things which feel on one hand really quite sort of soft and fluffy and lovey, but are actually pure Adam Smith. So paying a lot of attention to my employee's health feels like, oh, well, you know, do I really care? And is that all a bit sweet? And but of course you should care. But it's also incredibly good business business to yeah, to care sure. to care. And I think the I think the the whole trend around envi environmental conditions within buildings is like sustainability an absolutely massive market for prop tech. It might it might be materials. It might be literally sensors. It might be software. It might be design, it might be blah, blah, blah. But it's, it's going to be huge because we need to... So someone says, said to me, which I thought sounded ludicrous until I thought about it, well, they, they said, well, we want people to leave our building in the evening healthier than the, when they came in. And you're there, stupid. And then you say, well, no, hang on. No, no, that actually, you know, if you're in London, indoor air quality could probably be better than outdoor air quality. So yeah, that actually that actually makes sense. Come and spend time in our building; it'll make make you healthier. But but also, what is what I think is interesting and in how all these things link together is this actually then comes back to answering the big productivity question because you know the number of times people say, oh well, you know, uh, how how do we measure productivity in the workplace? You can't measure productivity in the workplace. Of course you can measure productivity in the workplace if you concentrate on cognitive function. Yes. So, for instance, there is reams of peer-reviewed scientific papers 
demonstrating the impact of environmental conditions on cognitive function. So stick me in a room that's too hot, like last week, my cognitive function goes down. Same with too cold or too too much noise, too blah blah blah. So if you CO2, just take if yeah. you just take if you just take productivity as a function of the space you're in doing no harm to your cognitive function, then you're increasing productivity. So part of part of again the user experience of Gavin space is in Gavin space, he's really paying attention to helping you be as good as you can be. Because he's paying attention to your noise, your lighting, your, your CO, CO2, et cetera. And so you should be operating on cognitive function. And I can, I can see this coming up as part of the new KPIs of, of, a, of a lease. Yes. In the, in the sense of, right, for our particular industry or our particular department, that department, they need it noisy because it's, I don't know, it's the sales people or whatever. In that department, they need it, they need it cool and quiet. They, they need a lot of lights because they're the creative people. And so we, we can define a set of KPIs of what we need that would help us be as good as we can be. And the, and the, and the landlord or the operator will say, okay, fine. You pay me, you're gonna pay me based on how close how close I, I get to that. And if I really nail it, you're gonna pay, the, you're gonna pay more, the better the conditions beyond a, beyond a certain point, or you're gonna pay a penalty if, if the conditions go down. Now, this, this again gets back to working out where you are and the, the business model for a landlord, because a lot of this I think requires great, um, great coordination between the, the fabric of the building and the operation of the building, mm. um, which again I think is is actually the one of the curses of the lease. That it, it splits, you know, when, once it's signed, it's split between the, the building and the, the internal tenant demise. But you know, you're gonna need to be able to flex flex space, partly in terms of layouts, but partly in terms of you know the mechanical, the mechanical function. So they're gonna you're gonna need. You're going to need business models that allow allow that to to happen, but if if you're being paid if you're being paid a premium rate for providing premium environments, then I think I think that change that changes everything. So those those two huge trends of anyone who can create products or services that aid in sustainability and anything to do with um, environmental conditions and productivity and the efficiency of workplace, I think is going to be massive. I think it's like, I think I heard you say it in one of your talks that it, the, the people don't want an office. They want a productive workplace. Yeah. Um, and that's what it boils down to. Yeah. And I totally agree. I've seen that in fact, in, in our business park, um, a couple of the tech companies, the bigger tech companies have, have invested a huge amount of money in wellness cert or, you know, this well cert yes, that you can yeah. get. And so the, the air quality is of certain levels and there's so much light and there's so much uh, access to uh, biophilia mm. and so green. And so it's interesting to see the focus going on all that stuff. And, and it's quite a large investment. So it's not something that they're just spending because they want it to look fancy. It's, it's actually like they're spending real dollars on this kind of thing. But, but what's what's interesting here, and what's I think a big opportunity, and I can see a big a big market opening, is doing all the the world certificate stuff. It's, it's possible to do if you you need to be quite a decent sized company to to do this. You need to be of a cer of a certain certain scale. But most companies aren't big. Most companies are small. Yes. So I think there's the, I think there's a huge market in where landlord slash operators become their, their services doing this for you because if, if i'm a big company i've got my own internal real estate department i've got designers i've got everything most companies don't have that and they don't have the skills what they have skills at is running their business but they don't know how to run you know the the the, the interesting thing i think about the the workplace is it's actually becoming much more complicated and much more sophisticated so if you think of 10 years ago, 
a, a typical office, you have 50 staff. So you go out and you buy 50 desks, 50 chairs, 50 computers, 50 telephones. You line them up and you make sure everything's in gray and that's it. Boom, done. That's a workplace. <laughs> now, with what we're talking about, it's complicated. It needs all these different skills and most mm-hmm. companies, big companies, so maybe half the market, or I think it's about 40%. In the UK, it's 40% of employees work for companies that employ more than 250 people. 60% work for companies that employ less than that. Anything less, less than that, they need someone else to do this for them, which again gets back to, I don't want an office, I want a productive workforce. So don't sell me an office. Don't sell me square feet. Sell me that. Yeah, I think it's a good And I th- there's so much, so much opportunity uh, around selling people not real estate. But the benefits of what you can provide them, yeah. Yeah, because it's, yeah. A, it's, a, it's a highly skilled thing. And, and as a landlord operator, you actually should be able to, again, going back, you know, with tech thinking on it, you should be actually be able to develop a flywheel of you're going to have more data, which gives you more in, insight, which enables you to build better products, which gives you more data, more, more insight, because you're doing it for lots of people. So, so the industry should be able to do this stuff better than almost, almost any, you know, Google can do it themselves, Facebook can do it themselves, but you know, pretty well everyone isn't them. They need someone to do it. It's a big, I think that's a big opportunity. It's different and it's going to take a lot of work, a lot of working out, but could, but could you build a, a brand and a competitive advantage around that? Well, hell yeah. I'm sure you, I'm sure. I you think could. you could. Yeah. And I've been, I've been following um, Kuhn van Ostrom. Uh, yeah. Well, they're, well, they're doing that. That's exactly, yeah. exactly what they're doing. They're saying, they're saying the reason you, come and take our space is because we we have done all the thinking and we have produced this and and it's fantastic stuff i think it's really fantastic stuff and i bet they get strong premiums for their space i I would say so yeah and and on top of that they can actually hold their hold their heads up high uh, as delivering a great product that is good for the environment and that has they're not not incompatible yeah yeah no it's it's a great point Anthony, I'm conscious of time. Anthony, we're going. We're, we're at about an hour now. I just wanted to ask you before we go. Um, a lot of the big corporations that we've been we've been talking about, but there's there's our listeners include a lot of people starting out at the very beginning of their careers. Is there any particular advice or mindset or behavior and stuff that you would recommend for somebody who's kind of coming into the industry for for the start? I would say if you're if you're coming from the the tech side try and learn a lot more about the actual real estate industry. Actually, the, the, the dynamics of the real estate industry, how, how it's funded, how it's financed, how it operates, because to understand who your customer is, you need to un- understand that. If you're on the real estate side, then read a, read a number, of, um, number of tech books and follow what's, what's happening in the tech, in, tech industry. Then carry on and come and do, do our course, which is exactly what our course our course is is about. I think I, I I'm a huge I'm a huge believer in, in curiosity. I think to, to to run a startup, apart from being persistent, you have you have to you have to be continually curious, continuously skeptical, not cynical. Never be cynical. Always be 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 skeptical, and try and spend as much time either talking to or listening to the smartest people. And one of the, one of the things I so love about Twitter, my Twitter stream is just gold dust because I've worked quite hard over many years and it's just so endlessly interesting. And it gives us access to so many interesting people. Yeah. And just re- really hanging around, hanging around with, with smart people. Don't, particularly in real, in real estate, if you're in prop tech, don't sit in too much of a tech bubble because it, it's, it's a world, it, it's, prop tech is never going to be quite like pure software. Mm. You're mainly going to be dealing in asset heavy businesses rather than asset, asset light. Um, and there is a much higher human component within, within real, real estate. So I, I would say continuous learning, curiosity and hunt out as many smart people 
as you can, because I, I, I find it incredible how generous so many smart people are. You know, you, there's a lot of people you can, you ask them on Twitter and you can't believe it, you actually get a reply. Mm. Um, and 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 you use those, use those tools and be nice and be honest. Being, being yeah. nice and being honest is a good thing because you will, I'm a, I'm a huge believer and it's panned out over my career in terms of what goes around comes around. And soon, sooner or later, you, 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 misbe you misbehave, it will come back and bite you. Be honest. People like yeah. pe dealing with honest people is a hell of a lot easier than dealing with not honest people. And don't deal with not honest people. <laughs> and sack, sack, bad, sack bad clients. That was one of the, one of <laughs> yes. the, one of the best things in my sof software business. There was, it was something that came from, uh, I think it was David, David Ogilvy, the advertising person. So one of the first things you must realize when you run an ad, ad agency is you should sack bad clients because they're, they're, they're like poison. <laughs> yeah. so true so true well anthony thanks so much for your time um i just wanted to uh, well you've already plugged your course so i was going to suggest that but also how would people find you online and uh, you have a great blog if you want to just point people in that direction yeah if they um if they come to anthonyslumbers.com which is no no h no h in the anthony and on twitter i'm at anthony slumbers or you can find me on link, LinkedIn. All my content is on anthonyslumbers.com, um, tends to be replicated on LinkedIn as well. And um, I will always, always converse with people on at Anthony Slumbers on Twitter. Great stuff. Well, Anthony, thanks so much for your time and uh, I wish you well. And I'm gonna be continue following your, uh, your speaking and your, your talking career in the, in the near future. It was a pleasure. Thank you for inviting me, Gavin. So that's it for episode 18 of Behind the Facade. Thank you so much for listening. You find web links to all the various things discussed today in the show notes. If you found this episode useful, I'd be really grateful if you consider leaving a review on iTunes or whatever platform you listen in from. This really, really helps the podcast move up the rankings and get noticed. If you have any questions or topics you'd like me to cover in future episodes, please join the Facebook group uh, Behind the Facade community where you can get access to exclusive content and my weekly live videos offering advice and guidance. Lastly, if you want to connect with me or learn more about me, you should sign up to my newsletter over at www.gavinjgallagher.com forward slash go or subscribe to my YouTube channel, PropTech TV. So until next week, guys, I wish you all a great week and speak to you soon.